Welcome to Health System CIO's Partner Perspective interview series. I'm Anthony Guerra, Editor-in-Chief. On March 9th, HHS and ONC published the long-awaited and hotly debated 21st Century Cures Interoperability Final Rule, which also covers information blocking and certification. While the interoperability rule may have been the most hotly debated part, an important section requiring hospitals and health systems to send electronic notifications to other healthcare providers when a patient is admitted, discharged, or transferred could have the greatest impact on care quality. In this interview, Jay Desai, co-founder and CEO of PatientPing, breaks down the rule and offers advice on how CIOs can get into compliance. Hey, Jay, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. You got it. Um, let's start off. You want to tell me a little bit about your organization and your role? Sure. I'm um, Jay Desai. I'm the CEO, co-founder of Patient Ping. Um, and Patient Ping is a care coordination platform. We have a number of products, but our flagship product is called Ping, which is real-time notifications when patients are admitted or discharged or transferred uh, from a variety of facilities, including ERs, hospitals, skilled nursing facilities, home health agencies, and a number of other points of care. All right, very good. So this will be a bit of a long question, but don't worry, I'll get to an end at, at some point. Um, the, long, the long awaited and anticipated final rule on interoperability, information blocking and certification, as I'm sure you know, was just released. It establishes a new condition of participation. We, they're calling it the COP, I suppose, for all Medicare and Medicaid participating hospitals. And it, it requires them to send electronic notifications to another healthcare facility or community provider or practitioner when a patient is admitted, discharged, or transferred. So let's start with the pre-final rule, the existing situation, so to speak. What the hospitals have to do or not do in this area today and how will this new rule change that? And if you can give our, our uh, readers and listeners more color around what they're going to be responsible for. Yep, absolutely, yeah. So today, um, or I guess prior to today, uh, the, the hospitals really didn't have any federal requirements to make their ADT or admission discharge transfer feeds available to the various providers that may have an interest in knowing about it or uh, the providers that are designated by that patient for who, um, who may want to receive a notification. Um, there are some states that have specific requirements. Sometimes they're tied to Medicaid um, specifically, or they may be broader initiatives at a state level facilitated by a health insurance uh, provider within their region. Um, but for the most part, there isn't a explicit requirement for uh, hospitals to share this information. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that many aren't doing it. Um, many of them do provide um, ADT event notifications through a variety of means. And I, I, I could break it into two principal mechanisms by which event notifications are delivered. One is patient-directed. So if I'm a patient, I show up at the hospital and I say my my doctor is um, Dr. Manning, and I need to send a notification through. Um, the, the, the hospital uh, provider then can say who their, um, see who their uh, doctor is and then send through a notification. Um, often that's done by the EHR. The other is um, 
is a uh, uh, sort of roster driven or um, you know provider driven event notification where um, you know Dr. Manning may have a list of patients. They may have a list of patients that they're responsible for, say, through an ACO relationship uh, that they want to take um, accountability for and deliver high-quality coordinated care. And so if any of the patients on their uh, panel or their roster have an uh, event at an ER or a, or a hospital, uh, they want to receive that notification so that, you know, basically there's a requirement for uh, some intermediary often to listen for the event notifications on that panel of patients and then for that intermediary to route the notification to the to the right provider at Dr. Dr. Manning's clinic who wants to receive that information. So those are the two different mechanisms. Um, I'd say that in many instances, the former, the patient-directed notifications, is an EHR capability. The discharge information is shared through uh, some of the requirements under the discharge planning rule or uh, meaningful use. Um, but this is just adding a little bit more uh, specificity around event notifications. And I think on the, the roster-driven, uh, panel-driven event notifications, um, I think it'll add uh, more, more um, opportunities for uh, accountable care organizations, risk-bearing entities, primary care groups, uh, prior post-acute providers to be able to receive those notifications. So everyone's not starting, um, they wouldn't be starting from the same point anyway, because people are at all different levels with their, both their interest and their ability to execute on some of these things. But also you said there's some variation in state requirements. So you really have a hodgepodge out there of people at different levels of maturity in terms of being able to comply with this new regulation. Is that how you'd describe it? Absolutely. Yeah, there, there are some hospitals in the country that are um, sending ADT feeds to their state HIE, to vendors like Patient Ping and, and other vendors. They have their own interfaces set up with high volume referral practices within their region. Um, you know, they're sending patient directed notifications with attached CCDs and really making it very easy for uh, the community of providers that may sit outside of their hospital. Uh, to access the information and get the information they need, both through push event notifications or through exposure to, you know, a portal that they can, providers can get access to. That, that There are some hospitals that are far on, the, on that end of the spectrum. And then there are other hospitals on the other end of the spectrum that I would say uh, have really closed off the, the walls, not necessarily because that is what they want to do. They may not have the organizational resources or the, the, the market demand for receiving this information. Um, or they, they've resisted uh, to share this information for, uh, for business reasons. There, there could be a variety of reasons why they've, they've done that. Um, and for those groups, they may not be exposing ADT messages or making it available to, uh, you know, to the various providers that, that want to receive that. And so it'll, you know, I think this, this, this um, regulation will make it so that uh, those folks at, you know, the bottom end of the spectrum in terms of their sophistication as it relates to sharing this ADT information kind of move closer towards at least the middle. Um, the requirements aren't that um, onerous or that strict. However, they do put um, a burden uh, on hospitals to make this information available, which I think over the long term, they'll really um, value because it does make the hospital um, a better partner within their region and a higher quality, a higher quality provider. Well, let's say uh, we're talking to those CIOs of uh, hospitals, health systems uh, that are at that lower end of the spectrum in terms of their capabilities in this area. What's your best advice for them on how to get started working towards compliance? 
Yeah, so I think that um, one thing is to really understand the regulation. Uh, this, this, I haven't heard it as the COP yet, but I've heard it as the COP. The COP um, <laughs> will, <laughs> um, maybe I should be calling it the COP. Uh, I, so I think, I think the, um, the, you know, the, the regulation, um, it, it requires uh, hospitals to make a, a baseline set of demographic fields and identifying information available to um, uh, a range of the, uh, of the, of the uh, patient's established providers, and that could be their primary care provider, that could be a prior post-acute provider or one to whom the post-acute referral is being made. Um, and then uh, possibly the, the, the patient's practice group that the provider is, is a part of, which may include their ACO um, or other care management organizations. So, um, they're, um, they're, they're, so, so I think it's important for hospitals to understand who those groups are that are going to want that information and uh, need that information to deliver high quality care. They may already know about it because they have established re referral relationships within their community, but there may be other providers that exist outside of their state even or outside of um, their kind of traditional data sharing relationships uh, that do have an interest in knowing about these um, ADT events. So that's one. Uh, two is I think uh, really prioritize uh, security and stability here. I think, um, you know, there's a, we're in this era now where hospitals um, are going to be required to share their data broadly with um, third-party vendors, with um, referral partners within the community, and I think CIOs rightly are feeling um, anxious and nervous about what's, what's happening with that data. Where is it going? Who's seeing it? Um, and I think it's important that they work with partners that make it really clear to them how that data is being used where it's going so that when the CIO does make this information available out to, uh, you know, to the various participants that may want the information, uh, that the CIO is able to see um, where it's going and, and have some control over that. Um, I think that's, a, that's another important dimension. So, you know, know who this data has got to go to, know what data needs to get shared. There's, as I said, there's baseline requirements on it. Insist on security and stability from the vendors that you you do work with, or if you're doing it in-house, um, you know, set up the infrastructure to be able to do it in-house uh, with, you know, security and stability as a core part of the the, um, the, the solution that you're building. Um, and I think understand kind of the, the ecosystem of your options available to you. There's a number of ways that folks can meet this need. There's HIEs, there's uh, vendors like PatientPing and others, um, and then there's ways to do it just in-house. You can set up your own um, access to, to, to your ADT feeds. And I think understanding that it may not be one solution that you go with, you may partner with multiple solutions to ensure that you have compliance. Um, you know, you could, you could sort of outsource this delegation, this task of, of, of helping other entities get access to that information. Um, but understand what the ecosystem out there is for uh, possible solutions here. Um, because there may be several that are very cost-effective and easy for, for, for folks to stand up um, while still ensuring that they're compliant. Are you, uh, have you made yourself familiar yet with the timeline of when people have to comply? And do you think it's sort of manageable for those that are getting started and not, not very advanced? It, it's definitely manageable, and it's fast. September 9th, 2020, which is six months from yesterday, wow. is the timeline for implementation. Um, the good news is that all it is is ADTs. You got to send your ADT feeds out, make them available, um, 
uh, and then make sure that they're getting routed to the right destination. It's not something I, I suspect every hospital in America at some point has sent their ADT feeds either to an immune regi uh, immunization registry or um, local public health agencies, or they use it internally for census tracking and management. Um, so it's just reflecting that feed out into the various providers that may want to access it, having the system capabilities to be able to do that, uh, and, and working with intermediaries who have lists of patients that have an interest in knowing when patients present at any given CI, uh, CIO's hospital and uh, making it available to them in a, in a sort of simple and low-cost way. Did that surprise you at six months? That seems surprising to me. I, I think on the one hand, it's um, – it, it, it's, it's a little, um, so it, the COPs, um, uh, sort of the status quo is 60 days after a final rule is released. The notice of proposed rulemaking has been out for quite some time. So um, I think we've, you know, the, the industry has had time to uh, think about this regulation and sort of anticipate its arrival. Um, the final rule is, is out now. And like I said, it's typically 60 days is the, is the, is the timeline for implementation. So they did extend that from 60 days out to, to six months. Um, in the original interoperability roadmap that uh, ONC released, I think they had a January 1, 2021 date for implementation of, of, of the ADT, uh, ADT requirement. But um, so it's a little bit earlier than that, but at the same time, I think there's broad recognition that this capability is one that is, you know, imminently achievable. Um, you know, many folks are already have sort of um, partial solutions or, you know, are working on this uh, today. And you know, sort of get to the place where they're compliant. I think shouldn't be that heavy of a lift. Okay. In the final rule, they they talk about um, another. They they use two categories. One is another healthcare facility, and then I believe these are. I can't tell if these are separated. Community provider or practitioner. Uh, so mm -hmm. are those two two segments? Are the three segments? And do they need to be taken separately in terms of complying with the rule? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think this is something that, you know, um, it, it'll be it, patient being is certainly going to help educate the market around it. There's, there's certainly a lot of work that uh, that can happen, but there are a number of providers that can that can be the patient's primary provider or a community provider um, or, um, you know, a prior path provider. Um, CMS actually in the final rule compared to the, um, the original uh, notice of proposed rulemaking, did narrow the definition of what's considered an established primary or established care relationship. Um, and I think that that language makes it um, pretty clear as far as who those providers could be. Uh, it'll be a patient's, um, you know, mostly it's, it's directed by the patient, who the patient's name is their provider, their primary provider. Um, but primary providers, um, you know, who are, who are doing the work of coordinating care, improving quality, uh, and, and for treatment purposes, um, may exist within a ACO um, as a care, care management entity, and that ACO actually is um, affiliated with the, the primary care group. So I'm not answering your question specifically. I think you <laughs> framed it as primary care groups, community-based organizations, and post-acute care. Um, so those, I guess it's reasonable to think that there's three sort of distinct cohorts. However, within those cohorts, I think there's multiple uh, sub-cohorts and uh, of providers and i think that um you know it'll be important for and so you could actually break it into more than three cohorts if you sort of thought about the branches slightly differently but that all that said um 
you know, uh, there, there's a lot of ways uh, for patients to have an established care relationship with their provider. Um, and, you know, I think that there's a uh, well-developed point of view and well-developed kind of uh, literature on, on, on how, that, how that all maps. So specific terms, just to make sure we're clear, I was looking at were another healthcare facility, community provider, or practitioner. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to add there about you know distinguishing between those and in terms of yeah. compliance? Is that I think that might be from the the the, um, the notice of proposed rulemaking language. I think they've actually updated oh, the language okay. to what yeah to what's uh, what's considered uh, the. The, the patient's uh, provider team, which I can actually read. Um, okay, real time. Let's hear it. Yeah. If you have so, it. So <laughs> the way, yep, the way they define it is um, the patient's established primary care practitioner, the patient's mm-hmm. established primary care practice group or entity, or other practitioners or practice groups or entities identified by the patient as the practitioner or practice group or entity primarily <laughs> responsible for his or her care. So that's one group. Um, what? That's then, clear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then the second group is, um, is um, applicable post-acute care services providers and suppliers uh, with whom the patient has an established care relationship prior to admission or to whom the patient is being transferred or referred. Those, I would say, are the two broad cohorts, and there's uh, examples within the final rule language of, of what that what that looks like. Okay, and I don't mean to make light of it. I'm sure people have put a lot of yeah. thought into yeah. into these words and, uh, you know, done the best they could. Um, yeah, all right. it's important. Go I think, ahead. you know, if you're, if, if you're, you know, if you're a hospital and you're disclosing information to who you think the patient's doctor is or provider is, you know, you don't, you don't want that data going all over the place. You want it going to um, that patient's provider or providers, which may include a small cohort. And that shouldn't be everybody, you know, like if you were a patient's primary care provider six years ago, you probably shouldn't get a notification of the admission. You know, there's probably a reason that they, they haven't seen you again. Um, so I think, right. I think it's important that, uh, you know, that we get it, that we get it right um, as far as who, you know, who, who's seeing this information from the hospital's perspective. Right. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about intermediaries. The rule states hospitals can use intermediaries and be compliant. Does that mean hospitals using HIEs are compliant? I think um, there's intermediaries, plural. So, you know, I think that the burden on the hospital uh, is, to, is to make this data available to the patient's care team, those established care relationships. So, um, a, a state health information exchange may provide the system capabilities to make this data available, um, you know, to a range of providers. Now, if that's limited to their state, and there may be providers outside the state um, who want access to that information, uh, that may may or may not constitute uh, compliance if the if the HIE has the capability to uh, to meet that need. Um, you know, sometimes there are uh, HIEs that don't have the ability to um, accept certain types of patient um, lists, patient rosters. You know, some are uh, statically, you know, created on a monthly basis through a health plan attribution like an ACO, but others may be, may be created as a prior post-acute provider. You maybe have a new patient on that roster, you know, every minute um, or, you know, every hour, depending on 
or what the discharge schedule is uh, for that, you know, for that particular provider. They may discharge two patients in, you know, kind of in sequence, and and they may be new, two new patients on that roster that need to then get loaded in a in a you know in a in a matching sort of uh, roster attribution file uh, that gets compared against the ADT messages and, and sent, the notification gets sent. So you know if the HIE is able to handle a broad range of uh, provider types, operate at scale, um, you know work across the country, work across the nation, um, and then meet the requests of you know the, the various providers that may want access to the data, then theoretically the hospital could. Uh, could meet compliance. If the, if the HIE in turn has a policy where they make the data available uh, to other organizations that have an interest in knowing about those encounters, then 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 that may be another way that the HIE is uh, is compliant. So I, I think what's going to happen is that hospitals will realize that there's a handful of groups out there that have um, patient lists that they're taking accountability for delivering notifications to their customer partners around. And it'll probably make sense for hospitals for, to partner with multiple entities um, because it's re relatively straightforward to just mirror an ADT feed. And they may have their own process around how they manage the, the matching process or otherwise. Um, you know, again, it, this is this is speculation. I think it'll you know it'll be important to see how the market sort of meets this need. But the way the language is written right now, it appears that um, it'll be to the interest of the hospital to work with multiple partners. Um, and over time, I think, you know, uh, the intermediaries will ideally work with each other as we have done in several states. Um, and that, that's another way that this, this solution, again, uh, develops in the market. How do you think uh, this is working out on the ground in terms of uh, budgeting and dollars? So, for example, if you're a CIO, as we mentioned, on that lower end of the spectrum, you need some dollars to get this done. You need to spend some money. And what if you mm -hmm. don't have it? And you haven't allocated for it and budgeted for it, and you've got to get this done in six months. Um, what do you think is playing out down there in the trenches in terms of compliance? Is this a big dollar, uh, you know, associated with with getting the compliance if you're starting from ground zero? You know, really, it, it shouldn't be. Um, and I think that uh, you know, CMS in their in their um, final rule did offer some information or some you know general guidelines around um, you know relatively what the level of effort for something like this is. I think they pointed to possibly a one-time um, setup fee and then, uh, you know, some recurring maintenance fee. Uh, those dollar amounts should not be very large. Um, they, they probably are a function of the, the size and scale of your of, of any given hospital. Um, but, you know, making an ADT feed available to those providers in the community um, is, is not necessarily the uh, uh, the, the heaviest lift. It's not like buying an EHR, um, mm -hmm. but but at the same time, there is um, you know there, the, the CIO should feel secure and confident that the data that they are sending out into the into the market is being um, appropriately handled and only delivered to the sort of um, uh, the right providers uh, who should be you know the actually the established care relationship with the patient. They just know know where this data is going. Um, and I think that would probably be the only burden that a CIO would take on uh, that they should, you know, feel obliged to, to pay for is the added, that added peace of mind. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think this is going to be, um, you know, a heavy cost burden and it shouldn't, it shouldn't be, you know, breaking the bank for, for, for hospitals. Right. Okay. Uh, I'm sure you, you heard out there that um, some organizations, especially Epic, were voicing concerns 
about the rule. And I think they were, uh, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I think they were identifying some concerns around security and data, loss of data control by the patient based on some of the language that uh, their data would sort of, I think, get out of their control and consent. Um, what uh, what was your interpretation of their complaint, if I have it right or if I have it wrong, please correct me. And what did you think of that concern? And um, was it, did you see any adjustments reflected in the final rule to address those concerns? Do you think they're valid? Uh, what do you think? Yeah, well, so I, you know, in 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 all candor, I've I've focused heavily on the you know seventy odd pages that are focused on the the uh, condition of participation for the ADT notifications mm -hmm. or the electronic notifications. Um, but I do think that there's a similar theme um, to the broader information blocking, um, you know, kind of uh, 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 legislation that that is in the ONC rule. And I would say that the, you know, the Epic, um, you know, I think that their their reasons for and reasons against, um, you know, from their own business interest perspective, uh, to be a supporter or a, you know, um, or a detractor from, you know, for, for this information blocking rule, um, and I think their their point that, um, you know, if the data is just free flowing and going wherever it needs to go, meaning it's going to third party vendors and you know um, anybody who asks for it that there's a there's a legitimate um, concern around what are those vendors doing with this data that's coming out of the EHR and who are they selling it to and you know what's happening with it I, I think that's a, a legitimate concern obviously there's there's um, there's counterpoints to that and there is infrastructure and you know and uh, there's mechanisms by which you can protect the data um, so I, I wouldn't say that that's a reason to delay the rule or cancel the rule but rather it's a reason to ensure that appropriate safeguards are, are met to make sure that patient's data is protected and secure. Um, so, you know, as it relates to the ADT um, point, there isn't anything explicitly called out as far as, um, you know, uh, data privacy and security beyond um, ensuring that, you know, the delivery or the provisioning of the electronic notifications is, um, you know, sort of subordinate to any HIPAA or uh, state or, you know, local regulation. Which I think is, you know, obviously critically important, and you know, otherwise you're breaking the law. Um, mm -hmm. But, but beyond that, um, you know, I, if you're, I think it's, it's, it's going back to the point that we were discussing earlier, which, if you're a CIO and you're sending out your data, that could be ADTs or that could be otherwise, it's really important that you know where it's going, um, and you know, because you don't want that getting into the wrong hands. We don't want another Cambridge Analytica, um, you know, with this health data that's taking the information and doing something wrong with it. Um, so the burden is on, um, you know, the innovators and the uh, intermediaries that are facilitating the exchange of information to ensure that it's going uh, to the right place. And I think that CIOs should put that burden on their on their intermediary partners um, because it's you know it's a shared burden. We as intermediaries, um, you know, need to make sure that we're not sending this data to anybody other than um, folks who are falling within the parameters of legislation and have a valid reason to receive this information for care coordination uh, or treatment or quality improvement. That's really important. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, and CIOs and vendors need to work together to ensure that that's what's happening. Um, and I think that same parameter, that same kind of general principle applies to the broader info blocking rule.
So overall, uh, and you could either take this two ways. You could take it as the whole rule, or you could take it as the part that that you're really focused on. Is is this a good thing? Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, you know, patient ping is not really um, focused on whether the rule should be a condition of participation or if it's um, you know within the promoting interoperability um, legislation or you know how the how the ultimate rule is. Provision date, you know, Medicare has uh, clearly taken the stance to be, um, you know, uh, to, to make this a condition of participation. So that's what it is now. And and our role is to facilitate um, the implementation of this of this rule and make it really easy for hospitals. I don't think if you talk to hospitals and you ask them, would it be useful to send the notification out to the um, patient's provider um, of that encounter, that hospitals would. Say that that's not a good thing. I think that's well known and highly, um, you know, highly sort of understood that uh, better coordination of care between acute care providers and the community of providers that support those patients, particularly in real time during clinical encounters, is the right thing to do for patients. Um, and you know, Patient Ping has been doing um, ADT notifications now for over six years, and you know, we have reams and reams of examples of how patients' lives have just meaningfully improved when their doctor and the providers in the hospital are working together, um, both during the encounter and during the handoff uh, after the discharge. And I definitely know that if it was my mom um, who was hospitalized, I'd want her primary care doctor to know about it so that when she leaves, she, that doctor can make sure that the meds that she got prescribed while she was in the hospital are not going to interact adversely with, you know, the meds that she may be already on. If, um, you know, if, if, she wasn't able to sort of repeat all those meds when she was in the hospital because um, she, my mom happens to be on a number of medications. I know that if she needs to get a follow-up appointment after that, the doctor is plugged in and can ensure that it's happening in a timely way. Um, and that, you know, any services or that need to get set up after the hospitalization, whether it's home health or transfer to skilled nursing is managed. And I think that that's, um, that's, that, that's what this is all about. It's about making sure the patient's, don't fall through the cracks. That care transitions are are supported, um, and you know, and care is just better. Uh, and I think that this legislation is going to go a long way towards towards making that a reality. Any final thoughts? Um, more advice? Uh, parting words for our uh, CIO listeners? Yeah, I think that the you know, I think CIOs are going to uh, experience likely a uptick in the requests from their community partners, that could be prior post-acute providers, primary care, ACO type relationships that want to know when patients present at their, their hospitals and EDs. And those requests are gonna come from their local community partners that they've been working with for decades. And they're gonna come from providers that may be uh, further outside their immediate community or even outside their state. Um, and unusual types of providers like a home health agency or a SNF that they're not used to typically exchanging data with. Um, and so, you know, we're, uh, we're excited to help them along that journey and, um, and that they should, you know, um, uh, this won't be new problems for them, but it'll be, um, but it'll be exciting and interesting uh, time for them to, you know, think about prioritizing some of these issues and, and think about solutions for how they're going to, to meet the need. All right, Jay, I think that's uh, about covering it today. I really appreciate your time. I think this is a lot of great information, really help people get a sense of, of what they need to do now. So uh, I'm sure it's very helpful, and we appreciate it. 
Okay, great. Thank you so much. I appreciate, uh, appreciate you uh, having me on, and it was great to chat, Anthony. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this Partner Perspective interview from Health System CIO. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our feeds on iTunes or Spotify. Visit healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast for more information.